0: Hi, welcome to another NBC Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages, equips, challenges, and edifies you in your walk with Christ. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with whoever you know. Thank you. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome along to the preaching of the Word this morning. Uh, We're preaching through the entirety of Hebrews 4, and I've entitled this message Unbreakable because it's about the uh, unbreakable weapon of God's Word. It's also about the unbreakable Savior Jesus Christ, who can take everything upon himself. Um, But before we go any further, um, let's pray, uh, and then we'll get into the word this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you that we can gather, um, even if it's just at each other's houses, to watch this, Father. I pray that this message gets out to people that are not saved. Um, I pray, Lord, that we can be strengthened through this, we can be encouraged through this, We can be inspired by your word. We can be um, pushed forward into action through your word, Lord. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, as we're about to hear. It pierces the soul. It divides the soul and spirit um, about what's our thoughts and what's your thoughts. And there is nothing like it um, for us to read and hear and obey, Father. There's nothing like your word. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. Uh, We just bless this service in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll just get the slides up here for you guys. Um, so, this morning's service, uh, this sermon is entitled Unbreakable, um, and you'll see why soon. But before we begin, um, we will read through the entirety of Hebrews 4 together, and then we will get into the Word. Uh, and the uh, we'll exegete this entire thing, and it'll be really, really, really good, really um, encouraging. So, Hebrews 4, the promised rest. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we also have received the good news, just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest." And yet his works have been finished since since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, They will never enter my rest, since it remains for some to enter it. Uh, And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he specifies a certain day, today, speaking through David after such a long time as previously stated. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest is rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Our great high priest. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to... confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time so let's go verse one Again, it begins with therefore. So again, there's a lot of therefores in Hebrews, but uh, this time it's a therefore that relates to Jesus' perfect rest. We've been studying that heaps in this series. The fact that the grumbling, mumbling, complaining Israelites had totally turned their backs on this rest and tried to rip through to the promised land on their own that drives chapter 4. We have a warning to not neglect salvation and to trust the perfection of Jesus, who is greater than all things, to keep us safe from wrath and working for salvation chuck smith says some brilliant things in relation to this he says this god has given us the proper uh, the promise of rest let's take here that we enter into that rest for it's very possible that even though god has a rest and is desiring you to come to that rest it's possible that you don't know or experience that rest that god would have you know and experience in christ Jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Have you found that rest for your soul are you resting in Jesus tonight that's the issue for there are many who are not there are many Christians who do not know that rest in Christ but are yet still laboring under the works ethic in order to be pleasing unto God or just who thought or who through unbelief have not made that total commitment of their life and the affairs of their life unto him knowing that he is faithful and will keep that which I've committed. But they haven't made that commitment and thus they don't know the rest. So we must remember the awesome privilege that it is of having Jesus rest given to us. Sabbath rest is a gift, a blessed holy thing that's been specifically given to Christians that unbelievers simply don't have. A non-Christian cannot put his feet up at the end of the day and say, I'm truly content, my life is balanced, and I have eternity sorted out. In fact, the nagging question of where will I go when I die and is God pleased with me aren't ever solved outside of true faith. Jesus gives us that hope, that peace, that gift upon our conversion of true rest for the soul. And everybody is anxious and working and striving and uh, sweating it out, trying to earn God's favor, if they're even seeking him at all, um, until they're saved because they cannot find peace with God without Christ. He is true peace. Now here's a story with what happened to John Wesley to bring all of this to light. So listen to this. When evangelist John Wesley was returning home from a service one night, he was robbed the thief, however, found his victim to have only a little bit of money and some Christian literature. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to give you! The surprise robber paused. My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief hurried away and Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Years later, Wesley was gre- greeting people after a, Sunday service when he was approached by a stranger what a surprise to learn that this visitor uh, a successful businessman was the one who had robbed him years before I owe it all to you said the transformed man oh no my friend Wesley exclaimed not to me but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin there is a man resting in God's providence and control in the most challenging of situations that's the kind of rest we're talking about So verse 2 describes how there was a gospel message preached that people didn't get. They lost the importance of the power of God's saving hand. They weren't saved. Their faith didn't connect with the message. There was a vague stare at the message and no faith mixed in with it. Um, That's what some translations say. They say there was no faith mixed with the message from the hearers. Uh, In F.B. Holes' commentary, he says this of the faith necessary to mix with the gospel. The glad tidings of deliverance from Egypt and entrance into Canaan was preached to them. The glad tidings of deliverance from sin and entrance into heaven, heavenly blessing has been preached to us. But in both cases, the word preached does not profit apart from it being received by faith. The gospel is wonderful medicine for the broken heart, but it comes to us in a bottle bearing these directions to be mixed with faith in those that hear. If those directions not be observed, no cure is effected and the rest of God is not reached. It's fascinating. It's it's challenging. It's um, a gift to be given God's rest, and we need to come to him with faith. When we come to him at our conversion, we come in faith, and we come in faith boldly for um, everything else that we need. So verse 8 is fascinating in that it mentions Joshua and his leading of the small group that made it to the promised land, and it says that if Joshua wouldn't, sorry, would have provided full rest, then God would not... Need to speak of another kind of rest. It would end there. Everyone would be at peace from now on. Everything would be as it should. But Jesus was coming. True rest was coming. Peace for all mankind was coming. In the flesh. Christ born to die and raise again. Was coming to provide a true lasting eternal rest for us. Joshua couldn't provide this. Nobody could. The rest, even in Canaan, was temporary from enemies and hardships and worry. Jesus provides us with heaven for that and peace knowing we're all going there when we die that provides true hope here on earth so verse 11 now says that we as believers need to strive to enter that rest this means that it's not easy to do it's really really difficult to switch off fall into god's care and allow him and his saving grace to pour into us it's almost as if we're hardwired to make everything in life work out in our own efforts we know this We see this every day when our wives come up to us with an issue, guys. And what's the default reaction? I'll fix it. Don't worry, dear. I've got it. I'm strong. I can help. I'm together. But with God, totally wrong. We don't have a single thing to offer him. There's nothing we can do to aid God. He's all-sufficient and all-knowing. He doesn't actually need anything to exist and to be sustained. And that's what we heard this morning from Matt Chandler, is that Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. He's preeminent in everything. Yet he calls us to enter his rest because he knows that we simply will not cease work and working for rewards till we acknowledge the foolishness of this and humbly bow before God. We're in desperate need every day of his mercy, of his grace, of his provision, of his love. This rest is described by John Gill this way. The gospel rest here is meant that rest rich believers now enter into and is at this present time for them hebrews 4 3 and though true believers are entered into it yet their rest peace and joy in christ is not full they enter by degrees into it and by believing enjoy more of it and this is to be labored for by prayer hearing the word attendance on ordinances and this requires strength diligence and industry and supposes difficulties and discouragements through the corruptions of the heart the temptations of satan This is designed to quicken and awaken a godly jealousy in God's people over themselves. Amen. So verse 12 gives us this beautiful picture of just how powerful and truly timeless the Word is. And this is exciting. When it says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to the soul and spirit, it's speaking of showing us what's in our hearts, what is inside of them. It separates in us what needs splitting away, and it shines light on what needs to be exposed. Matthew Henry says this of the word, and the quotes here, the holy scriptures are the word of God. When God sit, sets it home by his spirit, it convinces powerfully, converts powerfully, and comforts powerfully. It makes a soul that has long been proud to be humble and a perverse spirit to be meek and obedient. Sinful habits that have become, as it were, natural to the soul and rooted deeply in it are separated and cut off by this sword. It will discover to men their thoughts and purposes, the vileness of many The bad principles they are moved by. The sinful ends they act to. The word will show the sinner all that is in his heart. And we should have a healthy fear of that, of the word. We should have a healthy respect for what the word does. In non-believers, in convicting of sin, judgment, um, sin righteousness and judgment to come. And in us, in separating what needs to be split off from us so that we can live godly lives. Do you see the power of this book? The very power of God is in it. In fact, salvation cannot even come to people without them hearing the word. The sword is a deadly weapon. It fights the devil. It kills sin. It exposes error. It makes us bolder in our work for Jesus, and it is all breathed out by God. Every verse, no matter how confusing or contradictory it might seem at the time, when we study it and preach it ourselves and learn more about God, We are strengthened day by day to face the trials of any kind because we have a weapon that cannot fail. Jesus used it in the wilderness against the enemy. Remember that. He quoted scripture against the enemy with all of his temptations of riches and kingdoms and the world and creation and food, comfort. Uh, Jesus combated it with the word. The modern notion that the Bible is simply a manual to look at To fix problems or a moral book full of great examples of moral people is a puny, weak, and quite insulting to just how magnificent this truly book truly is. God literally wrote this book. It's the very creator of the universe conversing with us and instructing and saving men. It's God's actual inspired word for all mankind to grasp and wrestle with and pull apart. To find God. He's not chosen to show himself as some kind of glowing ball on top of a a sacred mountain, but instead chosen to reveal himself to us through the written word, what we're reading this morning. This must be guarded. This weapon must be used. It must be exercised because it doesn't fail. It always achieves its purpose. When this verse talks about being naked and exposed before God, it means... Our evil deeds and intents are uncovered before him. That's what the word does. The Greek word here used for exposed is trachalipso, which literally means to have your neck exposed and able to be throttled. It's like someone in battle having their most vulnerable part of their head or their neck open to the enemy and then to then have the life choked out of them in an attack. We are this exposed before God with scripture. But this is a good thing when it comes to God because he is a good father. He's not an enemy. God isn't attacking us. Instead, he's caring for us in our vulnerability, in our frailty, in our weakness, and making us more like Jesus. It means we can boldly come before our maker and confess our sins and then be forgiven. We now have an advocate on our behalf who has entered heaven as the sacrifice of sin for us. Not only is he the sacrifice, but the judge. Now, verse 14. Our high priest is perfect. He's entered the holy place once for all. There's no more constant sacrifices for sin over and over and over again. The system of bloodshed spilling everywhere for sin could not go on forever. It's not sufficient. But Jesus, not only is he perfectly able to enter heaven after his finished work on the cross, but his humanity also made him perfectly able to understand us. He can comfort us better because he experienced human suffering, human thirst, human fatigue, human sleep, human torture, he has seen it. He has tasted it. He has felt it for us. He has endured temptation and not sinned. No other high priest could come close to identifying so well with us, yet enter God's throne and sit down after atoning for sin. He has felt it. He has been there. He can identify with us. This is what made people so mad at Jesus when he healed people and forgave their iniquities. Remember all the times in scripture when Jesus not only healed someone, but forgave their sins, and the Sadducees and Pharisees were furious because only God can forgive sins. But then who does that make Jesus? God. Only God can do that, is what they said. God forgives sins, not man, but they couldn't see him for who he was. Our sympathetic, perfectly perfect high priest come to save us all. They were completely blind. Chuck Smith again illustrates how we now approach Jesus in grace. And this is the contrast um, of how we approach him. Now, in our minds, because we hold in our minds this concept of rewards for goodness and for good works that we carry from childhood, if you are good today, then you have an ice cream for dessert tonight. So instilled in me from a child is this reward for goodness and punishment for badness. No ice cream for you tonight. You've been bad today. Even Santa Claus makes out the list and checks it twice. And you're going to get a bundle of sticks because you've been naughty. Not so with Jesus, he says. Grace is extended to us even whilst we're naughty. We were sinners when Jesus found us, and we're still sinners once he saved us. Sorry, that's me saying that. The end quote is after naughty. But we're able to approach him boldly through the cross because he has made that way possible. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, therefore let us confidently approach the cross, the throne of grace, to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So that word weaknesses in the Greek is asthenia, which means feebleness or frailty. Jesus experienced frailty. He made us out of dust and yet humbled himself to total frailty like us. Who could bite the dust at any second of the day? so can we. This high priest calls us to worship him, to adore him, to come and rest our burdens upon him because he's perfectly able to carry them. Amen. He had the entire weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders at the cross, and yet he wants to hear about our day and help us through our needy desires. little things we need him to uh, look after, the little tiny prayers that we have, the things we struggle with, you mums out there, you dads, workers, uh, students, everybody, kids. God has sympathized and he wants to hear your prayers. He doesn't just want to hear big, massive prayers. He wants to hear tiny prayers about your struggles. He's involved with us. He's praying on our behalf. He brings our prayers to God and intercedes for us. No other religion has a God like that who's personal, who cares, who loves, who was incarnated and came to the world as a man and then died for people that hated him. No other religion has that. Nowhere else has this kind of God, but we do. We have him. If you get anything out of today, let it be this. Jesus is able to carry your burdens. Like, read this, take notes of this. Your sin, your failure, your weakness, your pain, your hurt, your struggles, your bitterness, things you've been ashamed for for years. Jesus can sympathize. Jesus can also intervene if we just approach the throne room with confidence and faith. We will be far better off than hiding things from God. We cannot do this anyway, but the effects of doing it are quite nasty. If we try and hide things from God, even though he's there and near, it's just an absolute contradiction. And it's not going to help us. There's side effects to that. So as we pray, we're going to pray next. Let's all remember that Jesus is the very perfect one Hebrews speaks about. Interceding for us. Making our prayers effective. He is advocating for us as we do. Now, why did I call this Unbreakable? It's because of there's this one scene in this really, really good film. It's actually a superhero film called Unbreakable. Um... This one scene occurs, and it's this. It stars Bruce Willis as a man who discovers he is a superhero. In one scene, he's lifting weights. So he's pumping weights in the gym. His son keeps adding weight to the bar without him knowing, and he just keeps going and going and going. Eventually, the man asks his son how much weight is on the bar, and the son answers. Everything. Every weight is on that bar. The strength the main character had was far greater than he realized. He learned how strong he was the more weight was placed on him and the more he served others. Now, Jesus isn't unaware of his own power, but he does carry everything for us. Every sin, every weight, every entanglement, every heartache, every hurt. Jesus takes it upon himself and he casts our sin into the sea and he cares for everything. There isn't anything hidden from him, guys. He cares and he wants us to remain in him and to not shrink back. Amen. So as we uh, pray now, let's get into some worship afterwards. And just if you have any prayers whatsoever, make sure you send them uh, in a message. Um, You can actually just email us privately. You've got our emails. You can email someone you know. We would love to pray for you. Um, And when we start up our Bible study soon, let's be the church that bears one another's burdens, lets each other know what's happening in private. Um, and yeah, let's help each other out to be more Christlike. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for this church, this people. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem us and you care for us. You not only just saved us from our sins and then left us alone, but you sympathize with us. You were tempted. You were there When the devil was trying to tempt you, you hungered, you thirsted, you were hurt. You were killed for us. Um, And you took God's wrath upon yourself to absorb it um, and to put um, your righteousness upon us, credited it to us, Lord. Thank you for that, Father. We're eternally grateful. And Lord, as we move upon our week, move into our studies and our work um, and our busy days, Lord, help us to remember that you care. We can pray for you. Pray with you about anything, little or big, insignificant, if we've lost something or if maybe someone's ill or something's happening that we just didn't see coming. Um, Help us, Lord, to pray to you for those things and not shrink back and run away. Uh, Well, let's help us, Lord, to know that you're a good father and that you care and that you're willing to be involved in our lives. Um, We just thank you for today. Thank you for the word, Lord, that is sharp and it divides what needs to be divided in our soul and spirit and it convicts and it challenges lord and every word is yours and help us lord to always uh, remain in you and abide in you and dwell with you in jesus name we pray amen let's worship together now